Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from Psalms 34, verses 12 through 15. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward the cry. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen, amen. amen. All right. So we got a, a treat for you today. Um, we have a guest pastor, friend of the church. His name is Pastor Joe Hurd. He's a follower of Christ, husband of Valona. I hope I said that right. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I was stressing over that for a little while. Um, Verlona for 25 years, father of five children, assistant pastor at Hope Community Church, and follower of Christ. And I like how it began with follower of Christ, and then it ended with follower of Christ. Christ, As to say, I'm a follower of Christ. Um, he's a good brother, a deep brother. I don't know how it happened, but... Ten seconds after meeting him this morning, we had a deep conversation on education, race, culture, um, <laughs> community. I'm being serious. I don't know. I don't know how, but he's a good, deep brother. So we're so excited to have you here, and really looking forward uh, to hearing what the Lord is going to communicate to us through you. So everybody, let's give our brother a warm welcome. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for uh, just godly men, and we thank you for Pastor Joe, and we thank you for, Lord, just raising him up, Lord, for redeeming him and just placing a burden on his heart to shepherd your people. And Lord, we, we thank you for all the preparation and labor and prayer that went into this, this word, Lord, and I pray that uh, you'll give us a heart of anticipation as we uh, sit and listen. And Lord, we love you, we honor you, and may you and you alone receive all the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. You know, Pastor Leon called me on Thursday. <laughs> and he said, you know, I've never met you before, but I may have heard you speak at Hope. He said, and by the way, you're interested in preaching on Sunday? <laughs> and I said, sure. And the reason I said sure is because he had such a spirit about him. And he was talking about adopting the, the baby girl and how that had just happened. And I was like, wow, there's new life coming to the body. And when I say the body, I mean the body of Christ. Brother Alvin said my wife's name correctly, which is a lot of people don't do that, but my wife is Verlona. I have Victoria here. She's 11 years of age. And Troy, who's 18, who, who's at Michigan State right now, but he keeps showing up at our house like every other weekend. <laughs> so that's right, home-cooked meals. <laughs> and they're the two youngest, but there are three older children. I have a a 23-year-old who just graduated from Michigan State in December, 
and he's going to graduate graduate school in, in September. Um, and then I also have a 30-year-old who lives in Atlanta with his three children. I have a 40-year-old who lives in Saginaw, which is my original hometown, and my granddaughter is going to CMU. So I've been around a while, <laughs> and my life has taught me something, which is that without God, I'm nothing. See, because when you come into this world and, and the whole talking about Black History Month this month reminded me of how Black History Month was when I was young. I was born in 1961. And back then, we were in the midst, being America and being black folk in America, in the midst of trying to find our identity. On my birth certificate, it has Negro. And then we went through a period of being black. There was the, the black power movement that occurred. And then after that, we became African-American. And it's no wonder that in many cases, some of us are really kind of confused about who we are. So I said, well, as life went on, I said, who am I? Thus, follower of Christ. That's who I am. Now, in this country, in this world, I understand that I'll be African-American until there's another, maybe, moniker that comes up. But from the beginning until the end, my God has been there for me. And let me explain what I mean. I was born, as I said, in 1961. My mother, who passed in 2016, was born in 1928. Her father was 64 years old. Now, for those of you who may be able to do the math quickly, that means that her father was born in 1864. Her father was born in South Carolina. When Lincoln freed the slaves with the Emancipation Proclamation, he freed everyone who wasn't under his control. That means the people in South Carolina who were black were still slaves. So I stand here, really, a gen two generations later, a descendant of those people. And I stand here proud of the fact that my God has guided my family as well as other families, through everything that America could throw at them. And what I mean when I say America, I'm talking about those who would keep those people down, those who refer to them as those. But God has come through. And the thing is, that's really great about God is that God didn't stop with just people who were black people. God took people of all colors because we had a movement that said that this slavery is not right. We had a movement that said that people are people, and there's good in everyone. Why? Because there's God in everyone. He made all of us. And today I stand here, a descendant of those people, and I'm dedicated. I'm dedicated, as you are, obviously, to serving our God so that those road bumps that we go along in the way those road bumps we can make smooth, not because of what we do, but because of what he does. Amen. Today, the name of my servant is, sermon is, live in such a way that your words about Jesus have power. Live in such a way 
that your words, what comes out of your mouth about Jesus have power. How can I, many of us ask, consistently do right when I'm in a world that relishes wrong? We turn on the news. We see fighting amongst the parties. We look at our local news. It leads with who was killed today. We look around us in relationships 50% of marriages break up. There is so much that is going wrong that's advertised that if we're not careful, we began to believe that God is not making a movement in this world, but he is. For 25 years, for over 25 years, I've been married to my wife And she's managed to put up with me for more than 25 years. That's not usual. My children have done okay in school, but even better than that, they're good people. That's not usual to have that combination. And I know many of you would say the same about your children, that they're good people. But does that lead on the local news? Of course not. Because the world wants juice. There was a lady at my work. Every day she would come in my office and say, did you see what happened on the news? And she would say, well, you know, this man got killed. I said, okay. Or she said, you know, well, you know, those kids are always, they're, they're into things and they're, they're, they're just beating up people and, and out of control. And that would be her whole conversation. And after a while, I began to say, yeah, okay, I did see that. Did you notice at the end of the newscast where they had this young person who was, who was helping people? She'd stop watching by that time. If we're not careful, we can allow those things that penetrate from the news to become what our foundation is. And I understand that you're working at this point on the foundations of Christianity. We have to guard our ears. We have to guard our minds. We have to guard our hearts. Because just like an earthquake, just because things have stopped shaking, it doesn't mean that there's not some serious structural damage underneath. And right now, in this time, in this place, We're a country that is is at a crossroads. We have some serious structural damage. We have a president who we're called to pray for, but we have a president who, in my opinion at least, is not a very good leader according to Christian principles. He calls people's names. How can we as Christians support that? He makes fun of other people. As a Christian, we can't support that. But are we called to pray for him? Yes, we are, because he indeed is the leader of our country. And just because I don't like some of the things he does, he has an impact upon millions and millions of people around the world who we give aid to as a country. Let's pray for that man so that that aid goes to people who are hungry. 
so that those people, even though we don't like some of the things he does, maybe he can do some things right. For the past 28 years, I've worked in the criminal justice system as a federal probation officer. I know that this system is big and sometimes we don't always get things right. But if we pray for those who are within the system, if we speak up when things are wrong, then maybe we can make some differences. In fact, not maybe, but we will make some differences. What man is there who desires life? What is life? Let's define that. Is having a lot of money life? Is driving the best cars life? I wouldn't say so. I've seen a lot of people who had a lot of stuff and who were miserable. I've been around guys who, my job is to, to, give, is to give information to federal judges before they make decisions. I've had the ability to be close to them enough to see that every family that has money isn't doing well. Contrary to what the news would tell you. We, the people of God, have it within us to give people what they really need, which is Jesus Christ, through our actions and through our words sometimes. There's at this point, the character of God, the character of God has always been assailed, and even more so now. Why would I say that? If you ask people about church, they will tell you about things that happen when people are being, being abused or not being treated correctly. How often would you ask someone about, well, how's that church? And you hear about all the mess going on. Here at Mac Avenue, there must be some good going on. Because I read about what you do in your neighborhood. At Hope, we had a similar experience. At one point, when we moved into our neighborhood, people used to ask, well, why are these people who all seem to look kind of different kind of hanging out? What we could tell them with surety is that we hung out together because there was a Lord who saw that we were also in need. See, this whole thing about, about serving the community, if we're not careful, we can end up being that those people are coming into the community to serve the, the majority are coming in to serve the minority, which is nonsense. Because when you're serving, then you also are served. You receive just as you give. And that's what binds us. The tie that binds us is the love that Jesus Christ instills in us. And the fact that as we serve, we receive. God cares. He sees everything that happens. We can't allow ourselves to be fooled about the character of God. Now, I don't care if you have a million dollars or if you have nothing. God stands against evil and wrongdoers, no matter the shape, regardless the source, 
even if the source is you and I. One thing that I've learned over the years is that I can, my arms are not long enough to box with God. And for some of you, who you may remember there was a play that said your arms are too short to box with God. Well, what did that mean? It meant that we can only go so far in what we can do on our own. At some point, we have to rely on something bigger than us. And the world is seeking that which we have. We have Christ. We have Christ. He makes a difference. Jesus Christ is the reason why I stand here. I stand here in a country where we're allowed to worship freely. I stand here in a country where we're allowed to have an education if we choose one. But guess what? It's not because of America that we have this. It's because of God. Because the freedom of religion historically didn't come from the fact that that it was the church that was doing the right thing. Let's go back a little bit on that. When this country began, we came from the the Puritans and those people came from Europe. And in Europe, you had the Lutheran church, which was in Germany. You had the Anglican church in England. You had the Catholic church, which was based in Italy, in Rome. In each of those countries, if you lived there, you had to pay a tax no matter what. So if I happened to be a Catholic and I was in Germany, I still paid a tax to the Lutheran church. That's just the way it was. So in coming here to America, then at that point, the people said, listen, we want freedom to worship and we want freedom to pay taxes to where we want, we want freedom to not have just go along with everyone else. Then our founders, the American founders said, we're going to separate those. There's going to be a, a, a difference between religion and state. No longer, if I lived in Rhode Island and Rhode Island was a Baptist area, then if I were a Catholic living in Rhode Island, would I have to pay Baptist taxes? That's the separation between church and state. Sometimes when you explain things, then it's like, oh, that makes sense. I went to Germany in 2009, and people will say, well, Germany is an unchurched place. No, it isn't, because I went to the free German church. The, the, the official German church were people who still paid taxes to the German church, so they were only 7%. Free Germans, the free German church were people who said, listen, I'm not going to pay taxes, but that doesn't mean I don't worship Christ. And they were the vast majority. So there's a much bigger population of Christians in Europe than usually is advertised on the news. And here, the whole idea about, well, my children aren't, aren't, you know, you you have a separation between church and state. And as a result, we don't have prayer in schools. So that's why schools are so bad. Really? Really? So when did your children not have a right to pray on their own? When do we not, when do we, we have the right to instill Jesus Christ and our children taken away so that they then take him wherever they go? Because Jesus travels. 
Far too often we give the world too much power, far more power than we give our God. The devil is limited. Christ isn't. He's the maker of all things. In Titus 2, 11, 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As a Christian, we don't have a right to renounce that. There are good works going on in this church, but they're not good works going on because just because they're good people. There are good works going on because good people are allowing a good God to work within them and to allow those things to spill out, spill out to the point of where when people ask you about why you do these things, you can answer really in one word, Jesus, because he is powerful. But, our eagerness to do what is good as citizens of the kingdom can rub people the wrong way. Everyone's not really all that enthused. They say, well, what makes you so, so holy? What makes you so good? In fact, there's this saying that's been said almost since I was a kid. You know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I would submit it the other way. Let's change that saying today. Maybe we're so earthly minded that we can't do any heavenly good. Because if the Holy Spirit is the power that transitions, that, that, that compels us to do good, Maybe if we're thinking earthly minded, we can't access that power. But when we do, we can become unstoppable. Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King was powerful. And why was he powerful? See, the books, the history books will try to tell you it's because he followed Gandhi. What they don't advertise as much is that Dr. King, yes, he was a doctorate. He was a doctor in theology. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He believed in a man named Jesus. And going out and being beaten just like Fannie Lou Hamer was, do you think that was a concept they came up with themselves? Who else was beaten for our transgressions? It was Jesus. And when we start believing that it was our strategies that 
that allowed us to bring America a little bit close together is when we stopped accessing the power that was necessary to actually do what we say we want to do. In 1960, Dr. King was, he was approximately 30 years old. And he wrote these words in Pilgrimage to Nonviolence. He said, some of my personal sufferings over the last few years have also served to shape my thinking. I always hesitate to mention these experiences for fear of conveying the wrong impression. A person who constantly calls attention to his trials and sufferings is in danger of developing a martyr complex and of making others feel that he is consciously seeking sympathy. It is possible for one to be self-centered in his self-denial and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. So I'm always reluctant to refer to my personal sacrifices, but I feel somewhat justified in mentioning them in this article because of the influence they have had in shaping my thinking. Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I have known very few quiet days in the last few years. I have been arrested five times and in 1960 put in Alabama jails. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation. Either react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity for suffering, I have tried to make of it a virtue. If only to save myself from bitterness, I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block and others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet powerfully say, I bear my body 
the marks of the Lord Jesus. The suffering and agonizing moments through which I've passed over the last few years have also drawn me closer to God. More than ever before, I am convinced of the reality of a personal God. This man, the world didn't understand. To many persons who consider themselves white at that time, they saw him as a rebel. This guy's just going to totally uproot America. To many persons who considered themselves black, he didn't move fast enough. Dr. King was really good to persons in, who were white in Chicago when he was down in Mississippi trying to transform things, in Alabama. How could they let those dogs loose on him? When he came to Chicago, it was a different story. In fact, he wrote that he had never really felt as afraid in Mississippi and Alabama as he did in Chicago. Because there was, that's good, let's transform those neighborhoods. You're not coming to mind. We like the way we live. As Christians, we'll find ourselves in those places because people want to fit us in a box except the power of Christ courses through our veins. And the work that he does will touch all and it won't be because of us. We, as Christians, even if we suffer for doing what is right, we have to know that we are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. If they kill us, we'll rise again. What are you going to do? Christ gave me life. He gave me eternal life. So if I die for doing what's right, I'll be back. In fact, I'll never leave as Dr. King has never left. Because the words that he spoke, even though he died in 1968, the words that he spoke live today. The people that he touched even those who never knew him. I never knew him personally, but I know his works and I know his spirit. But even more than that, I know from whence that spirit came. It came from our Lord Jesus, who 2,000 years ago took a beating for me, took a beating for you. He died for transgressions that I was going to commit before I even committed them. He gave me the opportunity to have life when all that was around me was death. And all he's asking any of us to do is to follow the steps that he's laid before us for life. And in the meantime, to touch every single individual with whom we come into contact with that life so that they too would know that there's 
a chance and a choice in life. Choose which way you're going to go. Life, death. And if you don't make it today, if today you choose death in your actions, it's okay. Tomorrow's another chance. As long as you're breathing, there's always a chance to choose Christ, to choose life. We are the people of God. Why? Because we have a hope that's within us that the world doesn't know. We have a life that's within us that the world doesn't know. We have the Holy Spirit which Christ delivered to us. That comforter that tells us it's going to be okay. That comforter that guides us and tells us when we're off track and makes us come back over when we choose him. The power of the Holy Spirit changes our lives, beginning our testimony to the world about our Savior. The words that we speak only complete the response. Today is another chance for you and for me to take this, this man and the acts that he did as redeeming, as redemptive, and as real to me and to you. Today, you have an opportunity to choose Christ once again and to have him transform how you're going to act and how I'm going to act when we leave this place today. Live in such a way that your words about Jesus have power. Amen.